It has been said that language was developed around the hunt. As humans became more successful at hunting, language became more complex. And we kept the tradition of language with meals, whether they are barbecues with friends, dinner parties, holidays, and of course, lunch clubs. So welcome to the great tradition of discussions during a meal. We will chat with all kinds of people doing all kinds of positive things. We will learn new views, share old ones, and maybe even laugh. Make yourself comfortable. And welcome to the Lunch Club. That was Eric laughing, by the way. <laughs> That's an interesting laugh, Eric. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, we're, we're joined today. Uh, th- th- by the way, this is the Lunch Club. This is my Independence Report. And we're going to be here for the next two hours. We've got a couple of great guests. We've got David Essel, who's with us for the first hour. And we are going to talk about all things positive, because he is an extraordinarily positive fella. And he's been doing things his whole life to be real positive. Of course, Eric Hall is with us, as always. Uh, Matt's taking the day off because, quite frankly, we're going to run out of microphones, I'm afraid. Uh, so, <laughs> so I wanted to talk to, talk to David today because uh, um, he's kind of an expert in the business, if, if you will. He, he's, got, he's been doing this for 30 years. Um, he had his own nationally syndicated. It, that's got to be fun to say. I have a nationally syndicated <laughs> talk show. Um, th- that must have been fun. David, how are you? Hey, Kevin, great to be with you. Eric, great to be with you as well. And, you know, radio, I mean, as you know, look at what you're doing right now. Radio is amazing. Syndication is incredible. Um, when, you know, when I started my career, we had three listeners, guys, uh, and I was in a tiny little station in Venice, Florida, uh, and and W A M R. I can still remember it uh, back in 1990, and I, I got into it by accident. A, a buddy of mine had asked me; they had a new piece of fitness equipment out. He said, "Hey, would you cut a, a 60 second spot to help promote this?" And I said, "Sure." And I went down to this studio about 45 minutes where I was living in Sarasota. Venice is about, Venice, Florida is about 45 minutes south. I went down there. I went in. I had no experience in radio, but I had been a speaker for up to at that time for over 10 years. So I went in. I looked at the script. I, I made a, the, the commercial in one cut. Uh, the editor looked at me and said, I don't think we need you. It was a 60 seconds of your life and you're done. And I walked out of the studio and this lady comes running out after me going, hey, hey, hey. Uh, did you just cut that spot? And I said, yeah. And she said, what experience do you have in radio? I said, none. She said, how would you like your own show? <laughs> and that's how really? it started. My gosh. <laughs> you know, she said, you have a, a voice for radio. What do you do? I said, I'm a speaker. She goes, makes sense. She goes, I'll tell you what, you're going to start right before Rush Limbaugh. Rush was on then Monday through Friday, noon to three. Uh, and she gave me 11 to 12. And we did actually have three listeners uh, we started with one. We expanded immensely to end the show with three listeners. And and it was during that period of time, after about six months, uh, that I really got the bug for radio. You know, I just loved it. It's such a an incredibly uh, uh, powerful medium to be able to express what you desire to express. And I, so I started going after other cities and I went to the manager of the station and said, hey, I really want to go bigger than our three listeners. Nothing wrong with three listeners, but I think we can do more. And he said, listen, do this. Go to Miami, go to uh, Fort Lauderdale, go to Orlando, go to Tampa, go everywhere you can and, and try to get on you know, a large uh, a station in one of those markets. That's how you know I would recommend you do it. So I went all over the state of Florida. No one wanted me in 1990. They said positive talk radio was nonsense. It would never last. 
And so then I started going after syndicators. And I said, well, screw it. I'm not going to go after Dallas and, my, and, and Atlanta and New York. I'm just going to go after syndicators. And there was only two at the time, really, Westwood One and uh, Premier or Clear Channel. And so I went after Westwood One and I hammered them. And now this is 1990. There's no email. So I hammered them with faxes. And what I would do is I'd go to Fox uh, New York, Fox Good Day New York, where I was with them for a year of the Lifetime Television Channel. I was with them in New York for a year as a host. So I got these people to write endorsements for me. And then I printed out the endorsements, faxed them to this woman, uh, Peggy, Peggy Solomon. I'll never forget her name. Uh, She was the vice president of programming for Westwood One. And after like inundating her with text, I finally was able to get through. She would never take my call, guys. You know, she would just never take it. So finally, I get a call from her. I didn't know it was her. And she said, is this David Essel? I said, yes. She said, this is Peggy Solomon. Does that name ring a bell? I go, oh, my God. (laughs) And I said, yes, it does. And she said, well, good. If I get one more fax from you, I will never talk to you for the rest of your life. And and there was and I said, "Uh, okay." And she said, if you stop the text messages, I'll bring you here for an interview. And it was amazing. You know, like I thought I was dead in the water with her. And she was really, she was always a very serious woman. She wasn't messing around. I said, I promise I'll stop the the text, the, the faxing to you. And she said, okay, here's the date I want you here. Come up for your interview. And, you know, I did the interview. And 30 days later, we were in front of 275 cities across the USA. That was the Ooh. beginning of my career. Man, that must have been one hell of a spot uh, for the oh. exercise equipment. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I, the exercise equipment never went anywhere. I, no. I, 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 I don't take that personally, Eric. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's funny how that opened the door for 30 years of work, yeah. you know, cutting up. And, and they paid me 25 bucks, guys. It was a, a new company. They had no money. And I said, don't even spend it. Don't. And they ended up sending me a check for twenty five dollars. Uh, but that. That, you know, 45 minute drive, 60 seconds in the studio and again, 45 minutes back, no idea in the world that that would open up a 30 year career. So for everyone with us right now, like this is an important story, not because it's my story, but it's an important story to go after those things that seem insignificant. Like if there's an opportunity, don't look at, oh, that's below me. You know, that, that that's not big enough for me. That's not whatever. Just go. Because you never know who you're going to meet, what contacts you might have. Or in my case, my Lord, I never would have expected a woman to come. Lenore, that was her her name, the head salesperson, Lenore. I would never have expected Lenore to come running out of the building, screaming at me like, who are you? And blah, 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 (laughs) to start a career. So, (laughs) you know, we we really do need to. And I have great gratitude for that. Right. 30 years later, I mean, I have the most immense gratitude for that opportunity. Uh, because I had no, I had no background of broadcasting. My degrees at that time were in health selected studies from Syracuse University, and then my master's degree was in sports psychology from the United States Sports Academy. Uh, so, you know, I didn't have any broadcast journalism background at all, and that proves something else too: is that we often limit ourselves when we say, "Well, you know, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have the experience, I don't have this." You know, Neil Donald Walsh, and I'm sorry to keep going on like this, guys, but there's so much racing through my brain. Um, Neil Donald Walsh has a great statement, and he says, "When you have passion, teach. You'll learn the rest along the way." <laughs> and I love that. 
That's, that is so true. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are literally hundreds of radio stations, small radio stations throughout the country that do not have the, the budget to create their own shows. And so they, they seek out folks to do syndication so that they can have a consistent product. They can sell some advertising in it. You right. get to keep some advertising and it works out to be a very nice little deal. Is that kind of how it worked for you as well? Well, you know, uh, back in, in 1990, radio was a little different. You know, you actually got paid. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's nice. You know, it was a great bonus. Um, what's happened over the years is that unless you're a, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a really big name radio host. I, I'll just go back to my era. If you're, unless you're a Larry King these days, uh, to actually get an income where you can live off of radio is unbelievably rare. I, it rarely ever happens. But 30 years ago, you know, we, we got a full contract. Uh, we got a full wage. We also, you know, we negotiated advertising time for my own counseling program and everything else we were doing. So, you know, we did three hours every Saturday, three hours every Sunday. And I had, I think it was four uh, commercial spots per each hour to promote my own stuff. Plus on top of that, a salary. Now, if you were to get that kind of a deal today, it would be very rare guys. Um, you know, most of, well, first of all, most radio is politically based. So it's even difficult getting a good show on a syndicated, uh, with a syndicator like a, a iHeart, a Premier and Clear Channel. They're all one, one conglomerate. But, you know, it's really hard to even get a show these days if you're not politically based. And then if you were to get a show to get paid is another huge hurdle. And then if you were to get a show and get paid, uh, that would be great. But what most people are doing now are brokered shows where that you actually buy the airtime or they do trade out where they'll say, OK, you can have this show and we'll give you four of the eight minutes of advertising per hour. But you're not going to make you know any salary. So the industry has changed dramatically. And I just feel very fortunate that I was in it when I started. Well, it was a great way for you to begin because you were able to pivot. I like that word pivot. And you were able to take it into into what you really wanted to do, which was uh, coach and teach and uh, and be be real positive and do a positive thing for the world. Yeah. And, you know, we were able to do that. Well, for 30 years now, you know, we went from Westwood One and then we went to a bunch of smaller syndication groups and then we went to Sirius XM. We were with them for a number of years and then the, the actually um, iHeartRadio is who got me into Sirius XM. So iHeart wanted me on a certain city. We didn't get it. And they said, hey, listen, we also have an agreement with Sirius XM. So I was very fortunate there. They put me with Sirius XM for a number of years. You know, so I, I've been very lucky, but it's not uncommon as in this industry, in the radio industry, I mean, to have these massive fluctuations. So, you know, we went from, uh, eventually we had 310 cities with Westwood one and I was with them for 10 years. Then they made just a business move. They saw their 90% of their weekend program. And we were on Saturdays from 10 at night to one in the morning and Sundays, 10 at night to one in the morning. They found that they were bleeding money left and right on the weekend shows that they had. So they sent me this email. We had just signed, I think a four year extension in 2000 and 60 days later, we get uh, an email saying that the show will end in 30 days, which was a massive shock. Uh, Dennis Green, who's a buddy of mine, he was the vice president at Westwood One who had to make the call to me. And we talked for a long time. And, you know, I tried, of course, to negotiate everything out of it. But he said, listen, here's the bottom line. Your show was the only show in black on Saturdays and Sundays. 
I tried to get them to keep you because you were in the black. Everything else was red, but they made just a sweeping move and said, no, we're not going to do this partial move. It's a complete wipe of the weekend. And then what they ended up doing was taking like their Larry Kings and that, and they would rebroadcast them on weekends or they started selling the hours. And that's where it really became popular on Saturdays and Sundays to have brokered programs. Yeah, that's one of the shows that we do uh, right now on KKNW 1150 AM. That is a brokered station. And uh, so we buy a couple hours a week and we do it to promote what else that we're doing. And uh, so I, although I need to have you on that show one of these days, if you'd be so kind. Oh, yeah, Kevin, absolutely. And because you 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 are just awesome, and you've got a lot of a lot of Im- very important things to say, and it's it's great. Eric, do you have any, any questions? I I wanted I wanted uh, uh, David here so that he could kind of school us on how to be a professional. In this yeah, this is <laughs> this is pretty exciting because I I fell into this uh, quite by accident as well, so I'm pulling a lot of information out of you. Kevin ran in. I, I write a little bit. I, I put together a couple of sentences from time to time. And I post them on Facebook. Right. And Ke- Kevin and I were bus drivers. And Kevin read one of my stories and said, hey, come on and uh, let's talk on a podcast. And we cool. sort of, you know, sort of hooked up that way. So, yeah. Well, one thing I mentioned to Kevin the last time I was on your show, Kevin, which which is really you know an important point for anyone in the audience that might want to be a podcaster or a radio host or a host of any type, is you know really pay attention to the way Kevin handles his guests. He doesn't step on toes. In other words, he doesn't interject, interrupt all the time. Uh, you know, Kevin doesn't go and and take a story of your of the guest and make it his story. Oh, you know, that reminds me of when when people we, we have a lot of hosts in this country that mean to do well, but they'll make uh, they'll have a guest on and then they'll make the show all about themselves, which isn't something they're doing on purpose. They've just never been trained in media. So, the, you know, Kevin just does some Eric, some phenomenal things. And you and I, this is the first time we've met. But, you know, I mentioned to Kevin the last time I was, I was on his show. Like there's very few hosts that have the ability to be quiet and to allow the guest to extrapolate on a point. Now, there are some points when you have a guest that might be running on and I might do that, Kevin, and you have every right in the world to cut me <laughs> off. But, um, you know, there are some guests that because they don't have the experience of being on media may get into running on and running on. And then it's totally appropriate to do an interjection and to say, hey, Mary, hold that point for a second. You've said so many great things in the last 20 minutes <laughs> that I've let you talk and talk and talk. Let me go back to this point. So, you know, I just find, Kevin, and, and you know, it's beautiful compliments that I can give you that I love to give you that when people watch you, I want them to watch the way you handle your show, because not only is your information valid and what we'll talk about today, whatever direction you want to go in is fine with me. But the way you professionally are a host is something I want your audience to be aware of. It's really important that they see you've done the work. See, David, this is what's impressive to me, because you're able to form a story out of um, your perception of what you're gleaming in from your uh, interviewee, the person that you're interviewing. And you're able to steer the conversation like Kevin is brilliant at this. And that's not an inherent thing. And I know you speak publicly about, uh, tell me more about your public speaking and how it ties into your radio show, what you learned from that. Well, it's a great question, Eric, because, you know, and I'm getting chills right now. Um, my 10 years as a motivational speaker prepared me 
to be a radio and television host. And I didn't even know it. I, I wasn't, you know, when I started speaking in front of groups in 1980, I had no idea in 1989, I'd be on this. It was the biggest cable network at the time, WWORTV out of New Jersey. Um, they were like the TNT and the TBS, uh, you know, the early uh, cable companies that were all around the country. Uh, well, WWOR was huge. And I was at a trade show promoting my exercise videos and doing a motivational speech at the time. And one of the producers from WWOR, his first name was Mark. I can't remember his, his last name. Uh, in 1989, saw me came over to the booth and stood there for two hours, guys, watching me sign autographs and talk to people. And at the end of it, I said to my PR woman at the time, Susan Harris, I said, Susan, I, I don't know why this guy is standing, you know, for two hours. Please go over and talk to him. He's talking to me. Like, creeping me out. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's good or bad or indifferent. And so she came back and she said, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? She goes, you were just hired. <laughs> you, 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 you have a, a spot uh, every other week in New York City, and you're going to be flown from F Florida to New York every other week. Uh, you're gonna, and she gave me all this. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, Mark just hired you. He's the head <laughs> producer for this show in New Jersey that is broadcast all over the country. So my speaking career actually prepared me in also, some ways. Now, also, you your know, thought process. Yeah, thank you, Eric. You know, like to think on your feet, right? Like if you're a speaker, you've, you've got to be quick on your feet and thinking whether someone is hassling you in the audience or they're asking a really good question or maybe someone's diverting you to a different topic. You know, you've got to be able to think quickly and, and all. And that helps in radio and TV. So then, of course, you know, it was interesting because there was a guy. I don't know if you guys remember a guy named Bruce Williams. Oh, Yes. I listen to him all the time. He's great. Okay. So Bruce was my first radio mentor. Oh, he man. was with Westwood One. And when Peggy Solomon hired me, she said, I want you to go and sit with Bruce Williams. He's been with the network. And back then it was called TalkNet. Now, you know, Westwood One, it's, it's funny. Uh, the first couple of years it was called TalkNet and then it went to Westwood One. But I went and sat with Bruce and I talked to him for several hours. And, you know, it was interesting. The advice he gave me, it was fascinating. He said, Make sure that you shine through. And I, I looked at him and I said, what do you mean by that? He said, don't depend on guests to be the focus of your show. Have the guest on to get the information, but don't lose your personality. Don't lose your branding. Don't lose your energy, your passion. He said, don't lose, don't lose David Essel. Make sure David Essel is an important part of your program. He goes, you don't want to just become a great interviewer. You want to become a great interviewer who has a strong personality. And I'll never forget that. You know, like those words really resonated with me. And then, of course, I had some really great producers over the years that would just throw out little tips every once in a while. Do you know that in the last time that you interviewed this individual, you said the word um three times? You know, and I go, oh, my God, no, I thought I had mastered that. So, you know, having people objectively listen to you, watch you and give you feedback is a crucial part of us growing and becoming stronger in the world of media. You know, I have to say, David, that there's a young lady. Her name is a Holly. She's my executive producer, and she is feverishly listening to this, taking notes. 
good, good, good. good. Uh, yeah. because- well, you know, we, we need that team, right? That that whole yeah. thing about it, you know, it takes a village. Well, it takes a village to raise a really good radio host. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It doesn't need. Now, now I got to ask you, though, because, because you started 1980. By the way, did you realize that this is 19 or this is 2021? So you've been you've been doing this for 40 years. years and you still have got a passion for it and you still have got a tremendous amount of energy around it. How do you do that if it's not, you know, well, I'm not going to say. Uh, how do you do that? Don't, don't tell me you eat a lot of salad either. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, no. this is what I was eating right before you. <laughs> a little bit of kale. So you're right. You know. It's all about the salad. I take no credit for my passion, my energy. It's salad. <laughs> That's perfect. But, you know, I, there's a really simple answer to your awesome question, Kevin. And the question is beautiful. You know, how do you after 40 years, 41 years, going on 42 years now, um, you know, how do you stay? And it comes from choosing an arena, an environment, a career that creates passion within you. There is nothing else I could ever do in this world other than help people. It's the only reason I'm on earth. It really is. It doesn't matter if it's radio, TV, speaking, counseling, coaching, writing books, articles. It doesn't matter. My whole existence is just to help people get to that next level in life, whatever that might be for them. And so I'm driven. I have this outrageous purpose in my existence. You know, uh, Pablo Picasso said something really beautiful years ago. He said, you know, the first purpose of life is to find out why you're here. And the second purpose is to give it away. And again, I'm getting chills right now. 1990, Wayne Dyer, the very first time I interviewed him, uh, I had said to him or he had said to me, you know, this he goes, this is your first year as a radio host. I'm, I'm blown away with what you're doing, David. You know, don't stop. And and I said, I want to have you back on in three months. He said, that's not a problem. And he goes, but before I, I, I leave you, I need to ask you a question. How can I help you the most right now? Oh, man. And, you know, guys, I, I looked and I said, Wayne, what do you mean by that? And he said, I'm being very serious. He said, I believe in you. So I want to help you. How can I help you the most? And, you know, that it, it shocked me. I didn't have an answer. And I said, Wayne, I, I don't have an answer. I wasn't even anticipating this question. Can I come back to you in three months when you're back on the air? He said, not a problem. So came back on and I said, you know, Wayne, the only thing I, I would love for you is an endorsement quote. And so after like the fourth time he was on, he sent me this incredible endorsement quote. But he said this to me. He said, you know, you have an amazing future ahead of you, David. And I'm, I'm only going to give you one piece of advice. Find a way to give a huge amount of your knowledge away at no cost. Find a way to give it cheap. And then find a way to give it discounted and then find a way to give it discounted and then find a way to give it discounted. In other words, he was saying, you know, we, we, we become insecure when we think, well, if I give the seven points on Kevin's show on how to beat anxiety, people won't need me. And he said, but it's just the opposite. The more you give away, the more people will trust you, love you, want to be in your corner, want to support you. And so from that time to today, you know, it was 1995 when we got our first computer and we did our first newsletter. And the, the newsletter we did before that was one we mailed out and we had we made a subscription price for it from 1990 to 95 because there was a lot of expenses and mailing out and printing and all that. And then in 96, we went to a, a newsletter that was free. 
And we started giving away interviews like this one. We started giving away my videos on YouTube. We started giving away articles. And so I, I think there's, you know, passion that comes from within me is, I'm, I don't know if it's God given, to be honest with you. I don't know the answer to that part of it. But I do know that every day I get up, I cannot wait to do this work. And that's what I wish everyone could find. And it's available. You know, we the only thing that's blocking us from having this passion for 42 years is that we haven't found the right pathway yet. Right. If you don't have this passion for what you're doing now, and here's a caveat that I think is really important. You may not be able to create a full-time career out of what drives you insanely passionately about life. But so what? Who cares if it's not full-time? Do it weekends. Do it evenings. Do it something because that will give you the passion to get through what may not be your ultimate goal in life. But, you know, I mean, God, Stephen King, you know, when he wrote Carrie, he wrote it part-time. He was working in a, in a dry cleaning a laundromat type of a place, and he was writing every other chance he got. You know, so when people say to me, well, you know, you're lucky because you do this full time or you're lucky because you have a degree in what you love. And I said, wait a minute. My degree is sports psychology. Yes, I still work with athletes, but 90 percent of what I do has nothing to do with any degree I got. 90% is from passion about loving the world of personal growth. And, you know, one of the things too, Kevin, that I, I'm going to just make, make a mention about um, my passion for my career grew even more deeply when I got sober. Like I loved this career, but I was a raging alcoholic for a very long time and a cocaine addict doing this very same work. And, and I loved it. And so, you know, the reason that I, that I was in the world of addiction is a totally different story. But, you know, when I got free, I thought I loved this work before. Oh, my God. When I got free of my addictions, it even became more of a passion because I was helping people get sober. And they were coming back to me going, oh, my God, my life is so amazing, David Essel. And I go, I know, even though I was still struggling. <laughs> and. And then when I got there, I go, oh, my God, this is what everyone's talking about that I hope it's over. <laughs> now, now, did you feel just a little disingenuous? Not at all. <laughs> Seriously, Kevin, that's a great question. Not at all. No, because denial is so beautiful and powerful. Oh, no, I never felt guilt, shame, ingenuous. I never felt out of integrity. None of that. That's how powerful denial is. Wow, that's true. You know, and justification. And rationalization, you know, so no, I created an insular world where what I did with my addictions was my own business and it didn't affect me and it didn't affect anyone else, which is nonsense. But that's what I told myself. And and then, you know, in that world, you can't let yourself feel shame or guilt because that will screw up the addiction. <laughs> then you won't want to use <laughs> that's that's true you got to talk yourself out of it that's right you know yeah and and then eventually you know how i got out of the addiction it the straw that broke the camel's back and where this stuff comes from sometimes you never know but i was dating a woman and she didn't drink and i drank but we never had any issues never had any problems and one day we were away on a vacation and um and she was pacing constantly at night and i didn't couldn't figure out why. And finally, I you know grabbed her and said, what's going on? And she had a tear in her eyes. Guys, you could put a, a, you know, a stun gun in her neck a half an inch away and she would never cry. You could put a nail through her foot and she would never cry. That's the type of woman she was. I mean, I just never saw a tear from anything. And when I saw a tear, I go, oh, my God, this is really serious. And I meant that in my heart. Holy crap. 
first thing I thought of is, oh, my God, she's pregnant. You know, that's the first thing that went through my mind. You know, it's like, oh, Jesus, you know, like, all right, let's go deal with it. So on the way to the couch to sit down and talk, of course, I swung by the kitchen, got a bigger glass, filled it with more wine, went to sit down for this marathon of whatever I was going to get into. And she started out and she looked at me and she said, David, the reason we need to talk is that at some point you're going to leave me for alcohol. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, it's happened to every guy I've been with. Alcohol is much more important than anything else because you're an alcoholic. And you've never untreated me unkindly. You've never yelled at me. You've never been hung over and missed something, but you're an alcoholic. And the reason I know that is because I was an alcoholic and I dated alcoholics. And I've been clean now and I can see where this is going. And I'm just telling you, honestly, you're going to leave me. And, you know, it was a beautiful wake up call. It really was. And I don't know why that woke me up to do what I'm going to tell you I did next. I have no idea why her statement was that powerful. I mean, I loved her for sure. I met, we had never talked about marriage or never talked about anything like that. So it wasn't like I was so in love with her. I'll do whatever she says. And she never even said to me, I want you to get sober. She never even said you should go get help. She just said, you're going to leave me. And then we talked for two and a half hours. She told me her background. She was raised in an addicted family. All she'd ever dated was alcoholics. She sees the pattern and she's going to break it. I mean, she was a very wise woman. Somehow that message that next morning before we flew back to Florida, I said to her, hey, I've got a client that needs to go to a treatment center and I can't figure out which one to send her in in Florida. Where did you go? And she told me. And while she was in the shower, I was on the phone with that treatment center making a plan to go in in 30 days. So, you know, it's, it's incredible how, first of all, how I got sober from her comment is mind blowing to me. Uh, but then secondly, how my passion increased dramatically after my sobriety. And I thought, guys, I love this field more than anything, which I did. And it just went up 100 percent when I finally did take the time, do the work to get sober. Well, you know, first of all, congratulations. That's, you know, there's a lot of folks that, and there's a lot of folks in the, in the media business that, uh, yeah. that, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a stressful business. Yeah. It is. It, and you're surviving on ratings and how well you did the tonight. And, and so they go home and they have something and then they have something else. And then, you know, and they, some of them make real good money. And so they pour it into their nose, some of them. You know, so congratulations. I, that, I hadn't heard that story. That is, that really is remarkable. And what that's done is it validates who you are as a therapist, as a man, as a guy with integrity. Thank you. You know, Kevin, it, it was, um, you know, my dad, uh, who's 94, he's in hospice right now. Uh, he, he's, he's just an incredible, incredible human being. But he has said this to my brother. Now, he's never said it to me, which I find kind of fa- fascinating. But he said to my brother many times over the years, you know, David has been very successful and accomplished a lot in life. But I am most proud of my son, David, for his long term sobriety, period. And, you know, my dad, I mean, when, when my brother tells me that, you know, my dad says a lot of things now and forgets and says it again 30 seconds later. So my brother, who, you know, basically lives with him, uh, him and my brother and wife are, are with my dad constantly. But, you know, he'll say, yeah, I, I want to tell you this again, even though I told you two weeks ago that dad said this. I want to say this again because he feels that this is the greatest success you could have ever achieved in your life. 
and you've kept it for so long, he's just blown away, you know, and when, you know, if, if you have a halfway decent relationship with your mom or dad and they say something like that as you're an adult, it really means something. It does. I'm curious, David, you've accomplished so much. I can tell from even a young age, because in the 80s, you were pushing exercise equipment, which speaks volumes about your experience to get to a point where someone would want you to do that. Yeah. So I'm looking at you and I'm hearing this interview and I see no evidence of fear or shyness in you and your ability to make changes and adapt to a situation is instantaneous. I'm curious, was there ever a point in time that you were shy or feared somebody or something? Well, I feared sobriety. You know, I, I feared being without my crutch. I feared being without my best friend who allowed me to go through life without feeling a lot of the things. I escaped a lot of feelings. Um, you know, and so I would say that one of my greatest fears was, you know, to be without alcohol or cocaine. That is absolutely true. And anyone in our audience who struggles with addiction right now or who is sober, both of you guys or girls know what it's like to, you know, to fear not having something that you've relied on for so long. Uh, but, you know, your, your question is interesting because I, we have a brand new book coming out and it's called The Ultimate Guide to Helping Americans Heal. And it's, you know, about 150 writings on some of these topics that we're talking about right now. And when it comes to fear, I, I think the greatest fear that I've ever faced outside of letting go of alcohol would be the fear of lack, the fear of hitting a wall in, in my career, the fear of not being wanted or needed. And I think that that's, you know, like you reach a level in your career where you're not as, as popular or you're not as um sought after, let's say. That's a common fear when you're in the media or it's a common fear when you're a public figure because so much relies on people that you don't know. So much relies on people listening here that I may never get a chance to meet who may become part of one of my programs. And so if there is any fear that I've had in the past early in my career, it was like, can I sustain this? You know, can I keep this going? Can I compete with the Anthony Robbins and the Deepak Chopras and the Wayne Dyers and all these other people, you know, that are going after the same audience I can. So early on in my career, Eric, that was a great fear. You know, it was and it was a fear that drove me very hard uh, because I didn't want it to happen. But then the funny thing is, is that then I start interviewing intensely the Wayne Dyers and the Deepaks and the, all these other people. And they have no fear about anything because there's no such thing as competition. And I think it was in the early 90s that I finally got this idea that David Essel has no competition at all. There's no one that can compete with me. Brilliant. It's just impossible. You, you cannot compete with another person because no one can say the words I say with the energy that I use, with the passion I use. They can say the same words with their own energy and their own passion and positively affect people, but no one can do it the way that I can do it. Uh, Eric, just like you, and, and here we go, Kevin. You know, there's millions of people, podcasters, but there's no Kevin and no Eric. There's no one that can compete with you. You have no competition other than improving yourself. 
the only competition you have is within. So when I was taught that, and it took me a long time to learn it, I was taught it very early, but I didn't learn it for a long time. But when I got it, it was such a saving grace, Eric, because I realized I had nothing to fear at all. That if I just kept improving, and I don't mean, you know, OCD improving, like, oh my God, I've got to get better. Oh my God, I got to get better. It's just, you know, not that kind of stuff, but it's more like as long as I have integrity, as long as I'm honest, as long as I'm honest on these interviews, as long as I'm doing the best that I can do, I'm going to be fine. I'll be absolutely fine. I don't have to worry about competition because there is none. But if you're worried about competition, you will decrease your creativity. You may decrease your motivation even because Anthony Robbins has more followers than David Essel. I could care less. Anthony Robbins and David Essel do two totally different things in the world of motivation. We're not similar at all. So there's no competition between me and Tony. I think he's awesome. I encourage people, read his books, go to his seminars, walk on fire. If it changes your life, great. If it doesn't, come on over here. <laughs> you know, like, but there's no competition. And I think if we can, as a society, if we can start to learn that the only competition we have is within ourselves, trying to become better, trying to become the new and improved Eric or Kevin or David on a daily basis, not, not once a year, not New Year's Eve. What am I going to do for the next year to be a better person? What am I going to do? It's daily. You know, it has to be daily. A great book, The Power of Now, Eckhart Tolle. You know, you read yes. that book and everything is here, gang. Like, you know, Eric, you know this. Kevin, you know this. Everything is right here. There's nothing other than this here, this here. This is it. So what are you going to do with this here? Are you going to make yourself better? Are you going to have fun? Are you going to gossip? Are you going to bitch? Are you going to complain? Are you going to be a victim? Because in here, you have the opportunity to do either side. You can either say, hey, I'm here and I have 10 minutes. Let me read that book on spirituality, on inner peace that I didn't finish. Or you can say, oh, I have 10 minutes. Let me scroll Facebook. <laughs> well, a lot of people do that. Gee, gee, what is the difference there? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly, Eric. You know, so we, we say to people, your competition is you. So if you think you're going to improve yourself being on social media, you've got a great wake up coming because it ain't happening. Yeah, nothing's improving with you being on social media. Yeah. If you choose that time to put into your own growth, and you do things that you normally don't do, like 10 deep breaths. Oh, I have 10 minutes. Let me just do 10 deep breaths to calm myself. You know, oh, I was going to react to that person who cut me off and give them the finger. Let me take a big breath and change the way I react to the world. You know, like this is what we want to do. And this is what I believe Eckhart Tolle is telling us. In this moment, you know, we waste so many moments, don't we, guys? I mean, we just throw time out the window. We throw it out the window. And and instead of doing that, like, how can we? And I keep going back to social media because we have so many addicts in this world with social media. You know, the so many phone addicts. Oh, my God, the phone. As a matter of fact, so so let me tell you a secret of passion and, and a secret of, of success in life. The first hour of every day, stay the hell off of anything that begins with the word E and ends with the word C, which is called electronic. <laughs> okay, so there's no phones, there's no iPads, there's no radio, there's no television, there's no stock market checking, there's nothing for the first hour. Go through withdrawal because you will. Okay, most people are going to go through withdrawal and you're going to automatically reach for the phone. But because you listen to this brilliant show with Kevin and Eric, 
and I happen to be a part of it, your phone is in the trunk of your freaking car locked in the garage. So you can't reach over to your bedside and grab the phone because it's in the damn car, okay? And that's how we start to break addictions. Go cold turkey, take that first hour, sit outside. You know, I've got a, a client that I, I entered this really cool business guy that was in the Midwest and he had spent his first hour on the phone for, you know, the past 30 years, wherever, you know, the first phones came out in 1995, something like that, 94. All he did was get up and he's constantly texting, texting, texting. So I said to him, phone in, in the garage, in the trunk, locked. He said, okay, I'll do it. He did it. And then he gets up in the morning and he sits looking out his window like this. And he sends me a text. He said, you didn't tell me what step two is. I'm sitting here twiddling my phone, staring out the window. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of cute. And I said to him, what's it like out? Because it was early in the morning. He texted me. I happened to, to look at it. It was I, I actually take two hours every morning without um, any electronics. But so it was after my two hour period. I just opened my phone. There's a text from him. And I said, well, the very first thing to do is to sit and to breathe deeply and tell me what you're seeing. And he described this unbelievable scene out of his window because I in, in one of my books, I say, hang a bird feeder out your, 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 your window in the morning that you sit with your coffee or whatever. Observe nature. Very first thing you do is observe nature. So he sent me this text saying there's snow all over. The bird feeder is up. I've got a cardinal, a blue jay and something else there. He said it is the most beautiful, peaceful morning I've ever seen. And right there is words that were amazing because he could have been doing that for 30 years. The most beautiful thing I've ever seen is out his freaking back door and he had never seen it for 30 years. That's living in the now. That's that's being, you know, in control of your emotions. That's living out and there's no fear, there's no lack, there's pure abundance. And we're enjoying the existence of life. And that's really where I think we need to be going. And the pandemic, whether you like it or don't like it, I don't care. I have no opinion about it. Has given us in one way an opportunity to do this. You know, for many of us, life has slowed down. Uh, and some people freak out when life slows down and some people take advantage of it when life slows down. So I'm going to say pandemic or no pandemic, what we're talking about today is available for everyone. Absolutely. David, I wanted to, first of all, that's what happened when I met Eric because he's a bus driver and he does writings about a trip from here to there and he 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 notices things and he's able to describe them and the people that are there and the leaves and the colors and so it was like there's something deeper in there in that in that brain of his that that is important to for him to be able to get out and that's and that's why he's he's doing this is because this is the logical next step and i also wanted to to, to mention while well, i got a brief moment here i wanted to mention <laughs> <laughs> hey, you better take advantage of it. I'm coming right back, Kevin. Why no kidding? But you know what you do is based upon the relationship that you have with the individual and the group, and it's the energy that you put out there is the energy that you're going to get it back from these folks. And not everybody, even the motivational guys, don't do it as well as you do it. And you're you you are just I've I've interviewed Neil a couple of times and and Gary Zukoff and and some others and and you are in for my money you are as gifted on a personal level and in a group setting as any of these guys. And 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 you deserve to have a lot of success and I'm glad you have and will continue to. 
Kevin, that's beautiful. Wow. Thank you. I'm going to have someone transcribe that and put it all over my house. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I I really appreciate it. You know, the uh, going back again to the passion, you know, we we started this brand new group. It just started um, helping the helping Americans heal. And we did it at nine ninety eight a week. I mean, less than $10 a week, we're doing this group where every week they get a ton of information, uh, podcasts, articles, videos. Uh, Every month they get uh, a mastermind video where they send in their questions to me and I'll answer. If it's 20, 30, 40, 100 questions a month on a video, send it out to them privately without their name being mentioned. So it's all anonymous, all confidential. But we wanted to create a group that anyone could afford to join and that they would receive tools every week. So the very first thing they get when they join is our book, Positive Thinking, which is a a number one bestseller. It was our first number one bestseller. So they get that as a PDF absolutely free. That comes with their first email when they sign up. Then every week they get the email with links to all these different articles and inspirational work. And then monthly they get the mastermind video. So we're looking at the pandemic. Now, this is going back maybe eight months ago. We're looking at the pandemic saying, you know, a lot of people are hurting financially. A lot of people don't have the whereabouts or, or even know where to go to get really good, accurate information to change their life. So how can we do it? And this comes close to what Wayne told me in 1990. We're almost giving it away, you know, like $9.98 a week. We're basically giving it away. And in that way, we can personally touch millions of people that, number one, I couldn't do in counseling because I can only do eight people a day. Number two is that a lot of people couldn't afford it because of what they're going through with pandemic. So, you know, we wanted to find a way to keep getting the messages out there without the blocks of finances or money or a time or any other block that could be there. And we think we've done it. And now we're excited because we have people rolling into the program. We're getting incredible feedback and we're doing what I'm here to do once again, which is keeping me fired up. And, you know, we have the the program that started in the book. We're hoping it'll come out mid-December where we got our fingers crossed that it will. Um, and, And again, it's another way to help Americans and the world to heal during these crazy times. Eric? I sat down last night with a teacher. She teaches reading to um, people with reading disabilities and have general disabilities. And of course, as you know, because of the uh, virus, they have to do this via Zoom. And she was talking about how much easier it is for her than other teachers because she's able to develop this one-on-one a discussion like you, David, and I and Kevin can right now, we can see each other and talk to each other and we're sharing a moment in time and she can have that with these people one-on-one. And then she talked about the same people on her staff at her school, the physical ed teachers that have to teach their children physical ed through Zoom. So yeah, these kids, you know, are in the living room or in the kitchen, wherever the computer is set up, and the the teacher is saying, okay, jump, you know, do this, run run around the room. And the parents say, don't run in the house, you know, this kind of craziness. Right. <laughs> you you obviously don't remember Jack LaLanne. Yeah, you, David, has got to remember Jack LaLanne. Oh, I, yeah. hell yeah, Jack LaLanne was amazing. I mean, what, what and was his that? I think at, his ni- at 96, his last feat, 
was with a bit in his mouth swimming the Alcatraz uh, to the island, towing some kind of barge. (laughs) Barge, right. He, he was a crazy man, crazy man. But he was, but but he did that for years on television, doing exercises and with him and uh, I think his wife's name was Elaine and the dog Storm and the dog. Do you remember the dog? Right, I remember the dog. You know, my my mom, my brother is three years younger than I was, so my mom would have the chair in the living room just before Jack came on (laughs) because we used the chair for everything with Jack. Yeah. And then there'd be my little three-year-old brother trying to follow mom. And, of course, I'm sure I was doing something terrible in the background. <laughs> you know? Sure, I remember Jack. Well, as a matter of fact, guys, um, I'm trying to think what year it was. It might have been late 80s. I was speaking at a fitness conference, and they brought Jack in as a keynote speaker as well. Oh, cool. And it was fascinating to hear his story, you know, because, I mean, this is a guy that way before weights – were popular, you know, he was doing uh, um, isometric exercises, you know, like pushing as hard as you can against your hands or pushing as hard as you can against a wall. You know, he was doing like the wildest stuff. And then when when he finally got introduced to weights, I think he was like 14 or something like that. He really jumped into it. And then when he went into diet, my God, he was so far ahead of everyone. I mean, he's yeah. st- he's dead, and he's still far ahead of everyone. <laughs> Wasn't he pushing a juicer for a while? Oh yeah, yeah, he had the juicer was his big name to fame. Yeah, that was his big thing. And Elaine is still alive. Oh, is she um, really? Well, six months ago, at least I knew she was because we were interacting on uh, Instagram. She was on Instagram for gosh sake. Is that right? How old is she now? She's got to be nineties. Oh God, she's got to be close to a hundred. Oh man. Yeah, she's been I, gone for a while now. That says a lot for lettuce, David. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so, by the way, David Essel has been our guest, and uh, he is a remarkable man. He's a uh, personal a personal coach and a motivational speaker, and he's an author. And I don't know when you have time to sleep. Um, do you, you sleep, know? David? Do yeah. I sleep? Yeah. You know, I do from time to time. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Did you did you find that when you were no longer uh, drinking wine and and taking that you ended up having more time to put into your work and to do more Im- important things because you weren't too busy sitting there looking at the walls waiting for another glass of wine. Kevin, you nailed it. And as a matter of fact, I'll even go a little bit deeper. Um, to the addict alcoholic, our brain is constantly thinking about the drug of choice, whether it's food, alcohol, nicotine, drugs, uh, sex, gambling, uh, emotional spending. It's 24-7. The, the brain is always thinking. So what would happen to me is that I'd be driving, to, believe it or not, to work going, oh, God, do I have enough wine for tonight? You know, and then at noon, uh, I better check just to make sure. And then at eight o'clock at night on the way home, oh, God, let me check. So there's probably a hundred times during the day that someone who's struggling with an active addiction is thinking about their addiction. Sure. You know, do I have enough? Can I get it now? Can I use it now? Will I have enough later? I mean, it, it drives you insane, but you don't notice it until you're sober. And so you're, the answer to your question, Kevin, is that not only did I have a ton more time, but I had a ton more space available up here, which my mom and dad said was very minimal to begin with. But... <laughs> 
because I knew it all. They never, they never needed to give me any advice. My head was so full of information. I never needed them for anything as a kid, right? But, but you know, I ended up finding that you know, and I and a couple things that whether this is relevant or not, it, it may be to your audience. You know, I, I also was diagnosed in my thirties with ADD and ADHD. Now. I didn't have to go on medication because I'm utilizing what's called emotional regulation techniques. And one of them with ADD, ADHD is that you find a way to put the person into an ever changing career path. So in my path, every hour is radically different. There is not an hour that's ever close to another hour. And if I don't have a session with a client, I'm doing an interview like with you guys for an hour, right? Then I jump off of this and I go in, I have 45 minutes to edit my new book. I'll edit a portion of it in 45 minutes. And then I have a session. And then after that, I'll edit the book more. And then I'll close with another session. So what we find is that with ADD, ADHD, is that if you can monitor the day correctly, it's not a curse. It can actually be an aid to accomplishing certain tasks in life. So, you know, we, we look at this space, like the space that I got without having to think about drugs and alcohol was that I got a chance to really look at my schedule and say, is this set up for my personality type? Like, is this, am, am I having enough variety in this day so that I don't get stuck? Because if, if you get into a pattern, if you have ADD especially, you know, we can focus really well for a certain period of time. But if we try to expand that focus on one topic past that certain period of time, it can get very jumbled and we can start going in different directions. Oh, well, let me go into the garage and get this and then let me go over here and get this. So what we say to people with this condition is find a way to break up your hour. It, with kids, we do 15 minutes study, 15 minute off, 15 minutes study, 15 minute off. And we do this with kids and they can master um. Uh, topics they could never figure out before if they have ADD, just with breaking it up like that. So there's a lot of freedom that comes with sobriety. I have more time to think about where I'm going, more time to make sure the schedule is correct for the conditions that I have. Uh, and then the physical time. When I go home at night, my first two or three hours isn't about where's that glass of wine. I'm fully free physically and mentally. That That's that's remarkable and and you know that's that's a great story to be able to tell and now you can tell it and mean it you know you don't have to you don't have to be uh talking to somebody on the phone and saying well you know it's great to be sober and we need to be <laughs> to, and, you know and uh it's it's really great to have that and to be able to do that and yeah. uh and you are just awesome. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, David, how do they do it? It's super easy. You know, just go to talkdavid.com. That's the website. Uh, check out the new program, Helping Americans Heal. It just was released, and we're getting great feedback already, and that's only less than $10 a week. All of our books are there, too, guys. Um, you know, we have 11 books out. The 12th one hopefully will be out in December. And then if you want to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, of course, just go to talkdavid.com and that information is there as well. Uh, and Kevin and Eric, what a great time. I had a blast with you guys. Thank you. Oh, David, this has been a pleasure, man. You are I, I, I told him. I told him that you were yeah. going to be you were going to be hot, 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 hot. And you, and you, and you really are. You really are a, a great guy. You, you really mean what you say. And uh, um, and you are a positive. I wanted to touch base. I wanted to ask you this real quick before we go. Yeah. And that is, uh, I I've got an executive producer. Her name is Holly, and uh, she's doing a great job. Eric has joined my team. I now have three different podcasts. 
Um, we have a company called uh, KMmedia.pro, um, and that's also the website, the master website. And I've got Positive Talk Radio that I started in 2003. I thought it was a first, but I was wrong. <laughs> it was you that was the first. And so I've got Positive Talk Radio, My Independence Report, and a new one we're starting, which is about metaphysics. And it's called Think uh, Energy, and uh, because everything is just energy. So do you think I, we've got a future in this business? Yeah, I think so. My gosh. You, you know what's so cool, Kevin, is that you've taken that one area, and now you're expanding it out into multiple funnels, which is – it's brilliant because that's the way businesses build business. You know, most people – like Coke, right? They started out with Coke. Then they go to Diet Coke. Remember the lemon or lime – Coke that they did, you know, I mean, you keep opening up new funnels to see what's going to click. So I think it's great that you're doing. And once again, you know, this is really important for our audience to understand, Kevin, with you guys expanding in that area, you know, this is what this world needs the most. We don't need another political talk show. No, we don't need another pandemic show. We don't need another vaccine show. You know, we need information above and beyond what's going on so we can start to live above and beyond what's going on. And people like should be taking Yeah, exactly. And like Holly is doing, listening in and taking notes, our guests should be listening and taking notes because what you're saying is so valuable. Thank you. And you say so much and you make it concise and understandable quickly. See, he's a professional. He does that for a living. So yeah. that's you know, my whole <laughs> David, perception of time doubled when I sat down with you. David, I want to honor your time. I know that you're a busy man and that you're going to do other things. And I just want to say, I I, one more time, uh, how does somebody get a hold of you? Yeah, everyone, just jump over to talkdavid.com. The website is indicative of who I am. Uh, All I do is talk. Oh, Holly, you're welcome. So great to meet you. (laughs) And if you go there, you can check out everything that we have going on. Uh, There's tons of information. And I forgot we have a blog with hundreds of articles that you can read uh, as well at no charge. So check out talkdavid.com. And you can even hear the first interview that we did with him, I believe, somewhere in all of that information that you have. That's You've got that interview. Um, (laughs) And and we'll, we'll post this one as well, Kevin. Absolutely. It's been, it's been, sir, it's been an honor. And uh, when you are welcome here, anytime you choose. Well, I will be back. Trust me. And Eric, it's great to meet you, Kevin and and Eric, you guys have a great rest of your show and we will see each other again. Hope so. Yes, sir. Thank you, David. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, David. Have a great day. And that is David Essel. Go look at his information. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.